Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. You're listening to White Coat Blackheart. This is an encore of an episode that aired in August. In four decades as an ER physician, I've diagnosed and treated many illnesses. Among the ones I dread the most is brain cancer, especially glioblastoma multiforme, or GBM. That's the cancer that took the life of Gord Downey. Despite the best of modern treatments, the prognosis is dismal. There are promising new treatments, but... It turns out that Canada is a late adopter of those cutting-edge rays of hope. Some Canadians aren't waiting for Health Canada and hospitals here to make new medicines available. Uh, we're flying okay. late because of the late They're crisscrossing the planet in an effort to prolong their lives. One place they're heading to is Germany. So, I'm on the plane right now, absolutely exhausted. I haven't slept at all, but hopefully uh, I will later on on the flight from Toronto to Vancouver. This trip has been very useful, but just so exhausting for me, but also my parents. It's not easy to move from place to place, packing up, getting train tickets, getting the trains, getting buses. I feel like I'm too old for this, let alone my parents, so I feel bad. I can tell that they're exhausted. That's Aisha Udeman as she leaves Germany and heads back to Vancouver, where she lives. In 2022, Aisha was diagnosed with a very rare form of brain cancer. Since then, she and her family have been on an epic journey for survival, willing to go to any lengths so Aisha can live even a little bit longer. CBC producer Michaela Van Kooten has been following this story for months. Hi, Michaela. Hi. So we just heard the tiniest little teaser from Aisha. You spent time with her. Tell us what she's like. So Aisha's really warm. She has this really calming energy, and she always looks at life like the glass is half full. And before last summer, she was perfectly healthy. She was living in Vancouver with her boyfriend and her dog, Kaya, and working as a biologist with Fisheries and Oceans Canada. And then she got sick. Well, in July, she started to notice she was having short-term memory loss. And they basically just thought, well, it's because of her work and the pressure she was experiencing there. Then in August, she started to have double vision, headaches, nausea, and an intense kind of pressure on her skull. She went to the emergency room, and they did a CT scan, and that's when they found a large mass in her head. And so then they transferred her immediately to another hospital, and then they did an MRI, and that showed that the mass was actually brain cancer. The tumor was about 143 cubic centimeters. That's about the size of a kiwi. Wow. And they found out that she has a very rare form of brain tumor called diffuse midline glioma with an H3K27M mutation. Now, all that tech talk, that's going to come into the story a little bit later on. And it's very, very important. 
But the first thing that I know about diffuse midline glioma or DMG is that I've never diagnosed it before. I had to look it up. And with standard treatment, which we'll get to in a moment, the average life expectancy is just eight to 11 months. I can't imagine that Aisha took that news well. Yeah, she said that she had a little bit of difficulty at first coming to terms with her diagnosis. I think it was closer to October when I kind of realized what it was that I had. And this is something Elijah told me later, but apparently I would wake up every morning, ask if I had a tumor in my head and start crying. So I don't remember this happening, but I was just kind of coming to terms, I think, and just understanding what it was I had and what it would mean. You know, uh, Michaela, unfortunately, a lot of the people that I've seen and diagnose serious forms of brain cancer, primary brain cancer with, tend to be young like Aisha. It's, it's a real shame. She basically went into her 30th birthday and then went into surgery. And that's when they were able to remove about 30% of the tumor. So they weren't able to get it all out. And uh, that tells you a lot right there that this cancer is incurable, essentially. The purpose of removing the, that much of the tumor would have been in part to relieve some of Aisha's symptoms by reducing the pressure inside her skull but 70% of the tumor was still there. So what other treatments did her doctors recommend? Yeah, so she was slated for what's called the standard of care. And that really starts with surgery, which she had. If the person does well enough from surgery and they're able to handle it, they then slate them for radiation. Then they get chemotherapy. What kind of a prognosis was she expected to have? So basically when Aisha went in with her doctors, they really wanted her to get through surgery. But they did tell her if she did not recover well from surgery, that she would have to go straight into palliative care. So she wasn't given any kind of prognosis, but you looked that up. Actually, once the family found out what she had, they feverishly went online and started looking. And that's when they discovered that the prognosis was 8 to 11 months. But they weren't given the information from the doctors. They were just told that if she didn't make it through the surgery in a way that her body could handle the radiation, they would then put her directly into palliative care. Wow, she's 30 years old, and this is what they're telling her. That's incredible. But that's where this story takes a giant left turn involving her brother. So what happened next? So her brother, Dimitri, he's a CFO of a Calgary dental clinic. He also has a degree in cell biology and genetics. And he's been Aisha's biggest advocate. And he describes those days right after her surgery. After surgery, Aisha was quite slow to recover, functionally just debilitated. She couldn't speak. She could wiggle toes, squeeze hands, in and out of consciousness on a feeding tube, on a catheter. And we were told if Aisha didn't dramatically improve in one to two weeks, that would mean that it was because of the tumor and she'd be untreatable and she'd only have a few weeks to live. Palliative care came up and they did tell us that this tumor is incurable and the treatments are just to improve quality of life. So that was the first actual prognosis we received, which is devastating. And Aisha's boyfriend and I kind of tried to push her as much as we could beyond we what the hospital help. was doing. I mean, it definitely helped. We were yeah. picking her up and getting her to stand and trying to walk, like getting those movements going. Uh, and uh, sure enough, within a week, she improved significantly and they greenlit radi radiation. I emailed the radiation oncologist. He came within 15 minutes and you could just see how happy he was. And he said, on the spot, she's good. I'm good to radiate. Because I do think um, nobody really expected her to bounce back from that. And so then they were ready to go into radiation therapy. 
And after radiation, they offered her the standard chemotherapy, temozolomide. This story has so many twists and turns already. You know, I'm amazed that both she and her family are now living in the moment where we're just surviving the initial phase of treatment. That was the first priority for them. But she still has a prognosis of just 8 to 11 months. And, you know, she was offered standard treatment, but the rest of the story is anything but standard, at least for Canadians. So what happened next? Well, Dimitri is a very determined man and a very loving brother. And he started getting on the Internet and looking for studies and any information he could find. And he found that statistically, temozolomide isn't the most effective chemo for the tumor that Aisha has. And he just wanted more options for her. And he found another chemotherapy drug that might be able to help his sister. We came across Onc201, which has much better effects. There was an early trial for Onc201, where it is being tested in a number of different cancers, including brain cancer. They found in the brain cancer group, there was no, no increase in median overall survival in the group of 40-something patients. However, there was one lady in that group whose tumor shrunk 96%, and she lived four years. So then they investigated this, this lady, and they found out that she had this specific mutation that Aisha has. We're lucky we live in the age of the internet, where you can Google these things, you can find online communities. There's all these Facebook groups for brain tumors, tons of them. So you find people who, who are similarly affected, you find patients, you find family members, you kind of find outliers, which is huge, because you find one person who survived, or you find five people who survived. It's not game over. So, you know, the chances are slim, but they're non-zero. And um, I did ask Aisha's oncologist about Onc201, and they said that's something worth looking at, but they don't know how to secure it. So it turns out that there's this other drug, Onc201, that doesn't help the majority of patients with DMG, but could potentially help patients like Aisha, who have this very specific mutation. And, and Dimitri figured out all of this himself. This is already amazing, but what does he do next? There came a point in time when he thought, well, I need what he calls a quarterback to figure all this out and what to combine with what, what therapies to combine with what therapies. So he found a, a doctor named Dr. Raymond Chang. He's a doctor from New York, an internist. He specifically works with people with brain tumors, and he helps them to live longer by combining standard treatment with other treatments like new chemotherapies and vaccines. So Dimitri just cold called him. Dr. Chang agreed, and he said he would help Dimitri figure out what therapies together would be the most helpful for Aisha. So Dr. Chang sounds a lot like a super navigator, like a navigator on the cutting edge. So what treatments does Dr. Chang recommend for Aisha? So they came up with a three-pronged approach. The first is the chemotherapy drug Onc201 that we talked about. And it's been found to kill cancer cells without killing regular cells. So it's showing potential for treating people with the exact same tumor that Aisha has. And she's been on the drug since January. It's approved in other countries. But we've found out that the drug is also in the early stages of clinical trial in Canada. But still, people can't get it here. The second prong is Onc206. So this is a drug that they will put her on if they think that she needs it. Its lab results have found that it causes a stress response inside the tumors, causing them to kind of get stressed out to lay diet without affecting normal cells. And then lastly, they're looking at what's called a program of vaccines. 
And these are also available in other countries. And a recent global clinical trial found out that vaccines have been shown to prolong life in brain cancer patients. It bears repeating that none of these treatments are currently available in Canada. So the challenge is to try to acquire these treatments. And I guess there's there's many obstacles. One of them is that you have to travel. But another one is, is the cost. Any idea how much all this experimental therapy costs? Well, the total cost for the plan that they put in place is going to be a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. Yeah, I know. And that's just in the first year. Because the way that the treatments work is that you have to basically stay on them at different schedules. Now, you know, I've certainly heard of treatments for rare disorders that cost up to half a million dollars or more per year. Most people could not possibly afford a quarter of a million dollars. I have met people who would mortgage their houses for a chance at extra time. Is there any hope that BC, the province where Aisha lives, might pay for the treatment? So what the family has decided to do is to on an ongoing basis, assess which treatments they're going to keep, giving Aisha, working with Dr. Chang to figure that out. And that helps them try to figure out how much money they need to come up with and to help them continue to deal with these costs that are not going to end. They have made a request to the medical services plan in British Columbia to help them pay for it because it's a treatment she really needs. And so her doctor is on board with this, and they have signed the letter that has gone to the medical services plan. You talk to cancer experts in Canada. What do they think of Aisha's proposed treatment plan? Well, I spoke to Dr. Sheila Singh. She's been on the show before. She's a division head in neurosurgery at Hamilton Health Sciences. She's also a director at the Center for Discovery in Cancer Research at McMaster University. And here's what she had to say. I'm very favorable, like I'm optimistic about Onc-201 and Onc-206. They've been shown in, in um, experimental and preclinical settings to have anti-cancer effects, which is really good. And they've been tested on patients who have histone mutated gliomas, high-grade gliomas, like the one I think you described that your patient has. And there's a subpopulation of patients that have shown extended survival in the trials that have been done so far. So very hopeful, promising therapy that's going through the proper channels. So is Dr. Singh in favor of Canadians making like Aisha's brother, Dimitri, and seeking treatment in other countries? Dr. Singh does have concerns about that. Here's what she had to say about those concerns. Most trials in malignant glioma, they tend to fail late. So they show promise in stage one and stage two trials, but the majority of them fail at stage three. And that's where you have to demonstrate efficacy at a population level. So what that means is that the majority of patients have to show a survival benefit. And the sad outcome with most GBM or high or mutant glioma trials is that it's a minority of patients that show the survival benefit, not the majority. And that's where people don't then take that to the market to develop as a drug. Dendritic cell vaccines also very promising. There are trials run not only in Germany, but in the US Again, the same same issues that I mentioned with Onc-201 and Onc-206. So I think the patient that you're interviewing is positioning herself in the best possible place to get benefit from the most experimentally promising things in trial right now. She's found them, and I'm happy for that. It's one thing to find alternative treatments abroad. It's another to have a healthcare provider in Canada who is willing to provide aftercare these experimental treatments carry side effects that may have to be managed here in Canada. So I'd like to know, is Aisha's healthcare team in British Columbia willing to do that? Yeah, she's been very lucky. 
once she approached them with the treatments that her and her brother found online, they were really open to discussing these options. And then when she approached her doctors about onc 201 specifically, they actually knew about the drug, but they also knew that they weren't able to access it for her. I'll let Aisha explain. The oncologists here know about ONC-201. Like, they've heard of it. They can, I think they themselves know that it's a more targeted therapy for me to take compared to temozolomide. So they were, you know, they were, they were helpful and gave us, you know, letters to bring with us when we came back from Europe with, with the medication. Yeah, they seem pretty, pretty supportive. And I think they, more than anything, they understood why we wanted to try this treatment compared to what was offered in Canada. Yeah. And so Aisha's Canadian cancer team follow her every few months or so with MRIs, and then they interpret the MRIs for her. So they're managing her care in Canada as well. Yet if Aisha and her brother had not done their own research, they wouldn't have found out about ONC-201. That is a big question of mine, like why we weren't sort of told by them that this this option that's more relevant for people like me exists, just not in Canada. We'll be right back. From CBC Podcasts and The Fifth Estate, Brainwashed is a multi-part investigation into the CIA's experiments in mind control. From the Cold War and MKUltra to the so-called War on Terror, we learn about a psychiatrist who used his patients as human guinea pigs and what happens when the military and medicine collide. Listen to Brainwashed on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Blackheart. This week... A 30-year-old woman named Aisha Udeman has an inoperable brain tumor. She has tossed the treatment plan her doctors in Canada recommended in favor of experimental therapy made in Germany. It costs a quarter of a million dollars, and it's Aisha's best hope of living longer. And I'm joined in the studio by Michaela Van Kooten, who has been following Aisha's story. Michaela, as we heard off the top, Aisha was recently in Germany. Remind us why she and her family go there. So the family went to Germany in April, and they went to find out more about the vaccine or immunotherapy treatment that they could get there. They visited some clinics, and they also had to go there to get the ONC-201. Cancer specialist and researcher, Dr. Jürgen Arnhold, he's the one who prescribes ONC-201 in Germany. His clinic is located in Königstein. He's worked with over 400 patients in places like Australia, Canada, Hong Kong, and India. And he says that he's seen significant brain tumor shrinkage in at least one-third of his patients. So I asked how German clinics are able to provide these treatments that Canadian hospitals can't. We can do this uh, because of our specific pharmaceutical law. We can order, based on a prescription, anything we like to give to a patient if you are convinced that this would help him. This is individual uh, law for individual help. 6th of December 2006, from the highest German court, they decided that, that you can do it. Therefore, it's called the Nikolaus decision. The law now was extended to unapproved product, so whatever you are convinced that can help the patient. So Germany's healthcare system provides treatments that carry a faint hope of being beneficial. In Canada, the provinces put treatments on their provincial formularies when they have been decisively shown to work in clinical trials. Are there any other countries where they're doing things a little bit differently or have a somewhat different point of view? 
Oh, yeah, for sure. So Hugh Adams is the head of stakeholder relations at Brain Cancer Research. It's an organization in the UK. And he says that Britain is almost as cautious, in his opinion, when it comes to approving new cancer treatments. And it causes people in the UK as well to seek treatments in other countries. People are traveling abroad, self-funding treatment abroad, because our NHS system isn't innovative. It's not working in a kind of um, an effective, enabling way. In the UK, it's sort of a, a way that we view ourselves. We view ourselves that the NHS, our, our healthcare system, is, is something that's provided to everybody at the free of charge and it's something that we're incredibly proud of but we do believe them and that when we need it it's there for us and there's more and more stories now of people sort of being told actually oh you've got a brain tumor we can't do anything for you and that sends people abroad self-funding this is happening in the uk even though there are some treatments like vaccines that are offered there and not approved in canada what have you learned about why doctors in canada are reluctant to offer patients information on novel treatments. You know, maybe they don't offer the treatment, but they're not offering the information about novel treatments. Do you have any idea why that is? I spoke to Dr. Singh and she had some interesting thoughts about why Canadian oncologists seem hesitant to let their patients know about new treatments outside of the country. As a researcher, I'm at the cutting edge of every new treatment for brain cancer. And many of my oncology colleagues are just as research um, savvy and they keep up with everything and they know. But when you're burnt out and you're trying to catch up with a a thousand patient waiting lists. Do you have time to go and keep on top of all the clinical trials and go to these meetings? Most people won't. You need to have the infrastructure, the funding to be able to practice in that highly academic scientific manner. We do have centers of excellence in, you know, places like Princess Margaret and McMaster, the Jurovinsky. You know, we have areas where we have all the experts and all the teams. And I think it's not that they're worried about the risk. I think what it is, is they're worried about presenting a treatment option that may not then be accessible to patients. So it comes back to access. You don't want to offer something and then find out, oh, but it's going to cost you $45,000 to get those two treatments. You know, and sorry, it's not covered. That feels horrible. Yeah, Dr. Singh also mentioned that she and a group of others have been petitioning regulatory bodies at Health Canada to get them to offer some of these GBM clinical trials to Canadian patients. So let's get back to Aisha. What does she want Canada to do, its cancer system? What does she want Canada's system to do now regarding cancer treatment that it's not doing? Yeah, well, I'll just let her tell you. What I think would help the most is if patients could access treatments and medications that are available in other countries easily. Being open and discussing other treatment options that exist, just they might be outside of the country. That would be a big, a big improvement if if we could discuss these alternatives with with the oncologists here, and get get their sort of advice on them. You, know, Michaela, I'm curious. How did you get interested in this story in the first place? Well, Aisha's story is actually not the first I've heard of someone doing their own research to try to find a cancer treatment to help someone in their family that they love. I used to work as an education specialist at the Odette Cancer Center at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. And a friend of mine was struggling to get access to a new treatment that he'd heard about for his mother who had breast cancer. And he had to advocate really hard. And he had to have his mother change oncologists. Lucky for him, the treatment was available in Canada. But for many others, these cancer treatments that can help their family members are not available here. The decision Aisha and her family made to pursue 
this brand new cancer treatment on their own must have been draining, you know, when you consider how ill Aisha has been. So how has she responded to the treatment she received in Germany? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, she got her surgery here and then did the radiation also here in Canada. And then since January, she's been on the new treatment, Onc 201. She's also decided to restrict the amount of sugar that she eats. So in February, she had her first MRI since her radiation. And according to the doctor's notes, the tumor had shrunk more than 75%. And then her second MRI in April showed another slight improvement. So, so far, so good. Uh, Still, this kind of brain cancer is very aggressive. What keeps Aisha going? I'll let her tell you what she has to say about that. I mean, I want to I want to live. I have lots of lots of plans for my life and things I want to do. So still worth worth living with some sacrifices made. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty young. I'm 30. I have a lot of things I I still want to do. If I was, you know, if I was 75, I might be answering differently. But no, yeah, giving up wasn't really an option. And I'm very, I'm very thankful to have like people around me that I do because they, they wouldn't have let it be an option either. What I did tell Aisha is we're going to try to cure this. And if at any point things take a step back, I'll let you know. But until then, don't worry about it. Enjoy your life. Do the things you need to do. We know there are people who have made it. Yeah. And with Aisha's recent progress, they're hopeful. She's already lived beyond her 11 month life expectancy and she's doing well. She functions physically like any other 30-year-old, and she's tackling her bucket list. And while her original tumor hasn't grown back, there have been two smaller tumors that popped up in other parts of her brain and spine. And that is an unfortunately sobering reminder that Aisha's cancer is incurable and that her goal is to try and extend her life. So yeah, she's currently getting radiation to treat the new tumors that have popped up. And she has plans to go to Germany still to get the vaccine treatment. And again, her cancer team has been really great. So they're putting her on an increased or maybe a sped up schedule of radiation just so that they can give her the opportunity to get back to Germany to do her vaccine therapy. So until then, she and her family, they stay positive and they keep trying to make normal life memories like Dimitri serenading his sister on the piano. What an incredible story. Uh, Mikhail, I hope you will continue to check back with Aisha to see how she's doing. And I want to thank you for bringing her uh, amazing story to us. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been really a pleasure to kind of be a part of someone's life and give voice to their story. That was the CBC's Mikhail Van Kooten. Since that episode aired in August, we have an update. Aisha's original tumor has started growing again. She's experiencing some double vision and memory loss. However, she remains in good spirits. Her brother Dimitri says Aisha will continue with the regular treatment and the vaccine and take it day by day. This edition of White Coat Black Art was produced by our senior producer Colleen Ross with help from Jeff Goods and Amina Zoffer. Our digital producer was Ruby Buiza. Special thanks to Michaela Van Kooten. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.